The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box in your headlines. The death toll from the coronavirus crosses 1,000 after more than 100 deaths are recorded in one day, while City slashes its first quarter GDP growth forecasts for China to 3.6%. And the WHO warns there may be worse to come. Detection of this small number of cases could be the spark that becomes a bigger fire. But for now, it's only a spark. Our objective remains containment. Moncler says the business situation in China is critical. The shopper numbers in the key market plunge 80% amid the outbreak, prompting the Italian luxury ski wear maker to issue a cautious outlook. But Asian equities regain ground after a turnaround stateside, with Amazon helping to lead the S&P and Nasdaq back up to record highs. And Sprint shares rally 60% on talk. A U.S. judge will rule in favor of its long-awaited tie-up with T-Mobile in a decision expected to be announced today. Investors have been paying close attention to travel stocks uh, this year because of coronavirus. They're taking a look on the demand side. And uh, there is a view out there that maybe some of the selling has been overdone in TUI. Uh, that by HSBC. Results just crossing this morning from the travel company for the first quarter. So the uh, first quarter turnover crossing is 3.85 billion euros. And uh, the underlying EBIT uh, loss has crossed at 146.9 million euros. Uh, this for the first quarter of 2020. Uh, those numbers are clearly at uh, early, the early stage of the coronavirus as investors, uh, many in the, the health part of uh, the industry trying to work out what the ramifications will be. In particular, we see any large number of cases in Europe will potentially have an impact. But uh, so far, early days for this company on the, the forecasting side too. The first quarter EBIT uh, has crossed 78 million euros. So far, this stock year to date has been down 11%. Well, the trouble with this, uh, this set of numbers now is it tells us actually nothing <laughs> about the prospects for TUI and the travel sector going forward. I mean, this is a business that operates in the cruise space. Um, they're obviously quite dependent on the airlines to deliver passengers. And we know a lot of the airlines have been pulling their flights to China. And we've, we've also seen capacity, I think, reduced to some other Asian destinations. And just take Singapore, for example. We've got a story on our own website that talks about how now the, the um, uh, city-state is talking about a drop in arrivals of anywhere between 25 to 30 percent. And a lot of this is just plucking numbers out of the air based on current trends. And if this uh, coronavirus uh, worsens, in developed markets, we know that there's going to be a bigger impact. I mean, the number of conversations I've had with people here in Europe who said, you know what, I'm cancelling my trip to Asia or the Americas for vacation this year. I think I may stay in Europe. They're saying that, but 
depending on how this thing develops, they may also be saying, you know what, I'm just not going to get on a plane this summer. I'm going to stay at home. I'm going to take my holiday somewhere on the south coast of the UK if you're in the UK or stay close to home if you're somewhere else. I noticed one airline yesterday launched companion vouchers or, you know, take a companion for free. And they had all these windows across the course of the you could take that trip. So effectively <laughs> discounting across the, the entirety of 2020, you could pick any window. The other layer here for the travel industry is some have that exposure to Boeing, the aircraft that has been grounded. And TUI is uh, one of those uh, travel companies. The Boeing 737 MAX aircraft incurred replacement costs of 45 million euros across the markets and airlines business. The segments are a headwind of 29 million euros from the non-repeat of a hedging gain as well. So I think lots of different factors. And can we just throw the oil price in as well? It's been a little bit choppy for some in the market to try and get a gauge on. We were talking to those at the forefront of the oil industry this year. They thought they saw real upside momentum. And then coronavirus hit. And what, what have we had? This huge downward leg in the price uh, back to back. Uh, I think it's about five straight weeks now. Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is going to dominate the program uh, yet again this morning, but we'll do our best to see if we can figure out uh, what the impact on markets and the economy is likely to be from this uh, coronavirus story. Uh, we've got some updated numbers for you. Nearly two and a half thousand new coronavirus cases identified in mainland China on Monday, bringing the total number of global infections to over 42,000 now in Hubei province alone. A new record was set with some 103 deaths in a single day. That's brought the overall total to above 1,000. A number of Chinese officials have been removed over their handling of the coronavirus outbreak, including the party secretary for the Hubei Health Commission and the head of the commission. They are the most senior officials to be demoted so far as a result of this outbreak. And in a rare public appearance, President Xi Jinping has visited Ditan Hospital in Beijing, which is currently treating patients infected with the virus. The Chinese leader, who has kept a low profile since the outbreak worsened, was quoted to have urged the hospital workers to take on the, quote, people's war against the epidemic with full confidence. The Chinese president has yet to visit Wuhan, where the virus first emerged. The outbreak could knock as much as a full percentage point of China's 2020 economic growth, according to a Beijing think tank. The National Institute for Finance and Development's vice chair compared the situation to SARS when China's growth declined by about two percentage points in a single quarter. Separately, Citi has upgraded its forecasts. It says the economic damage will likely be worse than other forecasts. Economists at the bank have lowered Q1 growth predictions to just 3.6%. Sherry is with us now for more on the current Asian market reaction to the story. Sherry, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. And just to add on to the city forecast that you were just talking about there, 5.3% of GDP growth for the whole year in China. So, uh, you know, what kind of world would that be for the markets? But you know what? Interestingly enough, uh, investors, traders still hoping for and betting on more Chinese economic measures. The markets in the mainland bourses are actually chugging along pretty nicely. And Hang Seng Index right at the bottom of the chart actually 
pushing higher by 1.4%. FX front, we're seeing a similar resilience for CNY, CNH, as well as the Taiwan dollar uh, this morning. But uh, the stressful times for a lot of global uh, suppliers. And of course, uh, you know, we're talking about the tech chain a lot this week. And of course, we are watching Hanhai Precision, Foxconn uh, operations in China. So the word is, of course, Reuters is reporting that uh, they did resume their operation. They got the permit anyways from the Chinese authorities as of yesterday. But how much of a full capacity will they get back? Well, that's not going to happen overnight. So Reuters is reporting that 10% of their workforce was able to return to work as of Monday. And Chaishin also reporting that when it comes to it's a Shenzhen factory, one of the two major uh, factories for Apple in China, only 31% of the workforce were able to return to work. So this slow pace of, of course, you know, supply chain coming back online seems to be really uh, the market narrative, although they're not really reacting to it, to the downside, at least on this Tuesday. Guys, back to you. Thank you very much, Sherry. Moncler, the luxury company, has warned that foot traffic at its stores in China has fallen by 80% due to the coronavirus outbreak. The Italian luxury jacket maker called the virus impact on its business very serious, but added that it is too soon to forecast its effect on four-year earnings. The company also said it will push back some investments and focus on essential projects. This comes as Moncler posted better than expected fourth quarter sales thanks to strong demand in China that offset a weak performance in Hong Kong. And I think that's one of the problems. That you've got some of these luxury companies that have just gotten through all the issues with Hong Kong and the protests. Now there's a, another issue in the mainland market had been a resilient one for these luxury companies. Yeah. You've seen a lot of that expenditure revert back to stores or through e-commerce platforms in China to compensate for Hong Kong. Now you've got both parts that these companies are having to contend with. Look, uh, I mean, we're going to do our best here to try and uh, set out what um, the great and good think the potential impact is going to be on some of these stocks and some of these markets. But quite frankly, if anybody during this process tries to give you a very precise call on what ultimately GDP growth or sales are going to look like, take a very deep breath and look skeptically at that individual. Because at this stage, we've got a, an understanding of what this is doing to consumer behavior. And there are a lot of enforced measures that are obviously preventing people shopping and going about their daily life. But at this point, trying to pluck a number out of the air that represents a fairly accurate forecast of what's going on in either these businesses or for the Chinese economy, it's a bit of a mugs game, mm. quite frankly. We know there's going to be some impact and we know the markets are going to struggle to accurately forecast what the likely impact is going to be. And therein lies both the risk for our audience and the opportunity. I think you just have to have a think about how how long your time frame is in terms of your investing objectives at this point, because this story will probably, uh, even if coronavirus begins to abate, the fat tail um, impacts of this are going to run for another 12 to 18 months mm. at least. And that's assuming that we have seen the virus peak in China 
and what we're now getting is just uh, some of the uh, residual infections. If you think about it through the Moncler lens, this is a power you typically buy if you're going travelling. I mean, some of it for ski trips, some of it for trips to cold climates. You're looking to buy these very fashionable items that are fantastic on the streets or on the slopes. So there is a link to travel with this particular luxury name. question is whether you do get that V-shaped snapback and that later in the year when things settle down, that people do start to rebook those trips and they start to go to those modern clothes stores and they buy the apparel yet again. So you get a very strong bounce back. But that's obviously still in doubt because we're still right in the thick of coronavirus at this point. I would just say whether this also unlocks opportunities for some investors. You may recall back in December that Moncler was denying that it was considering any tie with caring. There's been a lot of appetite for the big companies caring and LVMH to consolidate, to go after other names in the industry. And Moncler was sort of sitting back saying, well, things look pretty good. Well, I'm not selling this particular business at you know, any sort of a, a discount. You have to pay a pretty hefty premium if you want to get your hands on this company. That sort of seemed to be the message. So those negotiations are not really progressing at this point. Does the narrative change when you look at that language from the CEO now talking about a, a situation that is very serious? Uh, we'll have to wait and watch, but inevitably across this sector, I think there will be um, a lot of the, the smaller companies that will be beginning to ask questions about cash flow and revenue. Mm. Um, in the meantime, let me take you to the market action. We saw on Wall Street uh, a little bit of green for the major averages. Uh, the Nasdaq bouncing 1.3%. The S&P 2 also uh, reaching for some more peaks. The Dow, you can see six tenths of a percent in the green, but uh, not compensating for the Somalia losses. So still traveling off about half of a percent from an intraday all-time high, but uh, certainly records again for the Nasdaq 9628 on the index. In terms of some stocks we're taking a look at, uh, well, Amazon was certainly one of them. We saw uh, the stock moving higher, $2,133, 2.6% higher. Morgan Stanley added the stock to its list of uh, companies that uh, it includes on the fresh money buyers list, citing its growth profile, $2,400 also the target. So as you looked at some of the action, about 15% upside, uh, some investors were anticipating uh, that was really suggested in their price targets from Morgan Stanley. All that on the back of that update we saw recently from the company. I want to take you to Treasuries because despite some of this risk on you're seeing in particular stocks, there's still some concerns about what coronavirus may mean for the global economy and therefore the fortunes of many stocks. And in Treasuries, we saw an inverted yield curve between the 10-year and the three-month T-bill yesterday. So uh, 1.56 and we had about 1.57 even this morning on that three-month T-bill. So investors are nervous about the signaling function that we now have on markets. Don't forget we inverted back in January. So again, uh, flashing up some warning signals. Investors are saying, is it because you've got the stampede into duration and safety of Treasuries that is causing some abnormalities on the curve, or is it actually giving us that signal that a recession could be around the corner? I wanted to take you to what we're seeing on oil markets. It uh, is a bounce back this morning. We've got gains of more than 1% on these commodities. That said, we are below the 500-day moving average on WTI for about the 20th day in a row, what we've got on uh, the price, 50, 16, 15 roughly on oil, but at this point, I think investors weighing up that Chinese demand still, they're looking at moves by OPEC plus. It's the same narrative. Investors are not getting a clear trend to the upside at this point, Jeff. Um, let's uh, talk a little bit about the politics as we run into the break here. Um, the Iowa caucus has left a number of people wondering if the Democrats can get their act together this year. Well, a former Trump advisor, Tom Barrett, has told CNBC he thinks the Democrats could still defeat the US president 
in November. Uh, we'll get the thoughts of the uh, Milken Institute chairman, Mike Milken, in just a moment. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. The Trump administration has unveiled a $4.8 trillion proposal for the 2021 budget. The plan calls for cuts to social safety net programs like health insurance and student loan assistance and a rise in spending on defence and border enforcement. The proposal still needs approval from Congress, where Democrats have promised to reject the plan. Former Trump advisor Tom Barrack has told CNBC a Democrat could still beat the U.S. president in this year's election. The Colony Capital CEO name-checked former Vice President Joe Biden and former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg as candidates who could still topple President Trump. However, Barrack, who chaired Trump's inaugural campaign committee, stated his belief the election is Trump's to lose right now. Let's get out to Hadley and Dan, who join us from the Milken Conference in Abu Dhabi. Guys. Hey, good morning, Jeff. That's absolutely right. I had the chance to catch up in an exclusive interview with Tom Barrett. We talked about U.S. politics. We talked about New Hampshire, the Democrats. He really came out on the side uh, in many ways of the main contender, he thinks, for Donald Trump will be Michael Bloomberg. But we also asked him, of course, about the impact of the coronavirus, how worried he is about the impact we're going to see on markets and not just what's happening in this region, but obviously the story with oil as well. Listen in to what he had to say. What do you think about China? Just, if, if, if you look at the hospitality sector in the UAE, and you, Everybody here was so excited about the fact that the Lunar Chinese New Year was coming, which should be the best 60 days of the season. Who could have ever anticipated coronavirus, which was going to stop the flow of people basically to that part of the world? All of the manufacturing aspects of what go on in China, just as, as everybody's starting to claw back after a trade deal and say maybe we can stay there. But it's the, it's the same all over the world. So I think part of, the, part of the dilemma that business people are having and part of the success of America is America is a transparent, understandable, predictable, reliable environment in which to do business. Europe, for the most part, has been too, but in many sectors and sessions. And, and without a fiscal and a monetary and political policy that is in one package, it too is very difficult to navigate. Latin America, impossible. That was Tom Barrick there speaking to me exclusively here at the Milken Conference in Abu Dhabi. We're joined now with the chairman of the Milken Institute, Mike Milken. It's great to see you, Mike. Thanks so much for joining us. It's wonderful to be here, and it's wonderful to be here at a country that in many ways has focused leadership of not only what's best for their people, 
their citizens, but what's best for the world. Walk me through how you envision the next few weeks uh, to play out. Given the impact of the coronavirus, there's been so much concern about whether or not the leadership in China has really got a handle on the situation. We heard from President Trump in the last 24 hours. He seemed to think that the Chinese government is doing the right things, that they're making the right steps here. What's your take? There's been many uh, issues in history that you're looking at today. Uh, the key is to move quickly. So maybe we moved a few days, a few weeks too late, but they, today they're taking the actions. But what's interesting today, we have about 1,500 people here from 40 countries around the world. And we, this is the largest gathering we've ever had in UAE, and we've really not seen it affect attendance here from that standpoint. So yes, it's a tremendous focus in China, uh, but not necessarily the same focus in other places in the world at the moment. When you look at what happens next with regards to U.S.-China trade, for example, um, do you see this having an impact on Xi Jinping's leadership? I think there's many challenges in China. Health care is one of them. Thirty years ago, no one had diabetes in China. If you went to medical school, you never studied diabetes related to obesity. Today, China has the most people with diabetes in the world. Incidents of diabetes are over 100 million. It is estimated today that 40 or so percent of the population is pre-diabetic. And as you know, the food, the fast food from America and other, other areas has dramatically changed. And so they now have the most people dying of diabetes in the world. And these diseases, with the United States being the most obese country in the world, and changing the weight will also tie these countries together. But I think the message that we can't forget is how close the world is. No one is an island today. And I think the results of this will bring the countries closer together. Mike, a broad question on the state of the global economy for you. Obviously, 2019 was a fantastic year for equity markets. 2020 also shaping up to be quite a strong year as well, at least in the first couple of months. How are you reading the global outlook for the rest of the year? And should we be concerned about perhaps a pullback from this point on? I think we have to wait and see how virus and other things play out. But interest rates are so low. Uh, it drives you into other investments. The debt markets underpin equity markets and markets around the world. And if you looked at the fourth quarter of 2018, where we saw a significant sell-off in equity markets, it was you found its cause with a substantial increase in interest rates, particularly on non-investment-grade debt, which now became an alternative to equity. But I think the world underestimates the liquidity in the world. 17 trillion in Japan deposited at zero. Can you find a better rate of return? Negative interest rates throughout parts of Western Europe. And so this is driving you into equity. And I think the wealth accumulation in Asia over the past two generations is far, far more than anyone has realized. And as those individuals want to diversify both their currency holdings Many of them are looking to put investments into dollar-related assets. And on the other side of the coin, whereas the U.S. percentage of the world's economy has decreased with enormous growth in China, India, and other countries, the U.S. management of financial assets by companies headed in the U.S. 
is at an all-time high, and U.S. money managers now manage more than 40% of all the investment funds in the world. I also wanted to take this opportunity to just get you to go on the record on another matter. I know you've been very vocal about the New York Times reporting on opportunity zones over in the United States. These are special tax areas to benefit distressed communities. Uh, there is a claim, at least from the New York Times, that you intervened to get one of your properties included in one of these special zones. Did you want to address that? Well, first, I don't disclose what I invest in, so it's not a conflict of interest for the Milken Institute. If they knew I was invested in anything, then someone could say that they were doing something for me. And second, uh, I, I know nothing about that investment, had nothing to do. But I think the key area is not some little opportunity zone uh, discussion that some investment is when there's others that own 99.4%. The key is, how do we deal with upward mobility in the United States? Depending on where you're born in the United States, you have different levels of upward mobility. And so if I'm born in Salt Lake City in the lowest socioeconomic, I have a much better chance to rise in my lifetime to the highest than I do in other cities. And this is the challenge, not just for the United States, but for the world. The tech revolution, uh, which allows you to connect to everyone, has created enormous wealth. You know, every single one of the most valuable companies in the world today uh, believed in faster computers, lower cost of data, more connectability, and with that, enormous fortunes have been created. Also today in the United States and other countries, people are worried about their future jobs as technology disintermates every industry, media, sports, manufacturing, transportation, energy. And so this uncertainty in the world uh, we are dealing with, and today only 26% of young people in America believe their life is going to be better than their parents. Why do they feel that way? What are the opportunities? And how can we and financial markets give them more opportunity and a more positive outlook. Those are the keys. I want to ask you before we let you go, to weigh in on the election. Uh, we're on the eve of the New Hampshire primary. Do you see a Democrat today who can take on the president for 2020? Um, the Milken Institute, as you know, is bipartisan, not political. Uh, this is not an area that I'm personally involved with, but I think it's early. And I think we need to see how this plays out during the, during the year as to what the issues are. The issues of upward mobility, the issues of rich and poor are with us, but the free enterprise system and economic freedom uh, that's by our system that's been created has created more wealth for more people and one billion people in the last 20 years have risen out of extreme poverty. The questions are how do we make people feel they have a chance? When I was eight years old, my dad told me the life for his grandchildren, my children, would be dependent on the feeling that everyone had an opportunity at success. I went into finance when I met a young African-American man who told me people would not loan money to African-Americans and change the world. And so I, I feel we have to reinstill this belief that everyone has a chance. Every, not that you're going to succeed, but everyone has the chance. An equal opportunity in education and health care. And that is one of the things we're focused on here. 
is how can we create financial systems, financial securities, financial markets that give people more upward mobility. So Donald Trump hasn't done that in your view? He's done a lot by reducing regulation on small and medium companies that have flourished. And if I look back at a period that I was active in, the last 30 years of the 20th century, small and medium companies created 60 million new jobs and large companies minus jobs. We need to make sure. And the reducing of many of these regulations on a person running a small business have allowed enormous hiring to explode in the United States. Mike Milken, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there. Great to see you. We're going to have a lot more coverage from the Milken Institute Summit here in Abu Dhabi in the coming days. Guys, we're going to hand it back over to you. Hadley, thank you very much for that, and Dan as well with us uh, on this uh, conference. From Milken, I want to just take you to some numbers from AMS. You may recall this is the Austrian sensor company that has been acquiring Osram, the lighting company. The numbers today are a little bit to your point, Jeff, about whether we can put much stock in some of these updates. And the company has put that big caveat out there around the coronavirus. Its expectations are all based on the assumption that consequences of coronavirus infections will not have a meaningful negative impact on their business for the first quarter of this year or for the entire year of 2020. Uh, But again, big assumption at this point. So while the numbers adjusted result from operations uh, for 2019 was 433 million US dollars, group revenues for the full year were at uh, just over 2 billion US dollars, growing by 32%. The adjusted net income for the year, 331. You've got some numbers from Daimler. Um, I have. I just just, just want to make a point, though. I mean, we're going to see a lot of this, I think. Um, Coronavirus is going to pop up a lot in the earnings announcements that we get here. And I I think you just have to use a little bit of common sense. I mean, if you're a manufacturer, um, then there probably is going to be some serious impact. If you are a services business that um, doesn't require a lot of people to be located in one place then you're probably not going to have as much impact, uh, particularly if they're the kind of services that can be purchased over the internet. So it'll be interesting to, and I hate to be cynical about this, to see who tries to kitchen sink this as a way of trying to just um, uh, explain away some weakness in execution or performance. Uh, And, you know, you would hope that everybody will play fair as far as this story is concerned. But you do know, you know, um, sometimes uh, management like a good excuse to explain some of the failings uh, around the, the business strategy. WHO again warning about the severity of the virus uh, and some of the banks in Namura are saying if you look at the devastating impact that coronavirus has had on China in the months of January and February, they're concerned that the markets are significantly underestimating the extent of those disruptions. So again, if uh, the market or CEOs are working on some of the market assumptions, maybe they're not up to date at this point with their own guidance. Uh, Let's have a quick look at these uh, Daimler numbers then. Um, We've got what looks to be a slight miss on the fourth quarter sales number, 47.1 billion euros, what they're delivering here. The poll expectation, 47.6 billion. Net profit line, 2.7 billion for full year 2019. The um, group proposing a 90 euro cents dividend per share. The... um, a group giving us a breakdown of the um, the various businesses here and interesting that the uh, group giving us a, a return on sales for the cars business of 4.9% trucks 
3.9% in the fourth quarter. Uh, but the Vans division return on sales for the fourth quarter a negative 24.5%, which perhaps is indicative of uh, some of the underlying trends we're seeing around the economy. Fourth quarter EBIT of 388 billion euro. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.